It'll be the book of Acts, chapter 10. This isn't where I started out studying for this particular message this morning. I actually started out somewhere else in the Bible. And then I got those notes put together, and I needed something to lead into that. So I started studying again. And now I've got two sermons. Then I started studying again. Now I've got three sermons. And I asked the Lord to help me find a beginning, and that's chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Because it's the beginning of us. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. And regardless of how effective the apostles were and the deacons at that point in time in the church that existed back then, they were only converting Jewish people to the religion, to Christianity. Sorry, I called it a religion. It's a relationship. And I should know that because I have that with Jesus Christ. I have that with the Holy Spirit. I have that with God the Father because I accepted Jesus Christ and His work on Calvary for the remission of my sin and for the opportunity to spend eternity with Him in heaven. So we're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit brought all of this sort of stuff to come to part come to be in uh, chapter 10. So we're just going to go ahead and we're going to read through it and then we're going to get into it. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band, called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked at him, on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth uh, with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And he shall, tell, he shall tell thee what thou oughtst to do. And when the angel which spake to Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually, and when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, as they went out on the journey, they drew nigh into a city. Peter went up upon a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they uh, made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and the certain vessel descending unto him, and it had been uh, as a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, no, not, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again, and the second time, What God hath cleansed, that thou callest not thou common. This is done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubled or doubted in himself what his vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men were sent from Cornelius, had made inquiries for Simon's house, and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men, and which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and he said, Behold, I am whom ye seek, what is it that causeth wherefore ye to are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one of, uh, that feareth God, and of good report among all nations, of the, all nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an angel to send for thee into his house, and to war, hear words of thee. Then called he them, called he them in, and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and a certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the morrow, after uh, they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together the kinsmen and near, near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And he, uh, as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God say, hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsay. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, what intent have ye sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And I beheld a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms ha are held in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, and lodgeth in the house of one Simon the Tanner, by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto you immediately, therefore I sent to thee. And thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we all were present before God and hear all things 
that are commanded there of God. We'll stop right there. What we're seeing here is God's answering prayers. He's not only answering the prayers of Cornelius, he's, a, he's answering the prayers of those who have prayed for Cornelius. So our prayers for our loved ones and our neighbors and our family members uh, and the people in this community and all the unsaved do not go unheard. God hears them as we are petitioning for them to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit and then they will seek out. They will, they will come to us. We just need to be able to invite them. We need to be able to keep the Lord present before their eyes. We need to talk about the things that God does for us each and every day. Each and every day we have blessings that come from God in order to help us become more firm in our faith, to walk more closely to Jesus Christ, to walk in the influence of the Holy Spirit, so that we can walk by faith and not by sight. So that we can do what it is that we say we are and present it to the community. And at that point in time, look at what happened to Cornelius. He is a Roman soldier. He is not a Jew. Most people would say he would be abhorred by the Jews because he's there putting them under subjection of a pagan empire. But the contrary is true with him. Why? Because he was a man that had respect for people. He also knew that there was a God. He did not know who God was. And he went ahead in order to be able to try and find a closer relationship with God. He gave alms to the local synagogue. He gave alms to the poor. He did all those things without... He was not banging his own symbol. Quite the contrary. He was being humble. You know, that's the first thing we have to do when we come to God, is we have to humble ourselves. We have to admit we're not as great as we think we are. We have to remember that we are not the person that our dog thinks we are. They love unconditionally. That's God. Have you ever noticed that God and dog are reversed? Paul tells us that we're going to be able to see God in nature. You can beat a dog to death and with its last breath, it'll lick your hand. God has that kind of patience with us. If he didn't, I'd be out of here long ago. So Cornelius was someone whom God had taken interest in. It's now time for the Holy Spirit to come on the scene. Just like he came on the scene for each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to prepare us to receive the gospel message. To get our hearts right in order to be able to hear and understand what Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, all three, have done for us. And we can find that by going back to chapter 1 in the book of Genesis. Everything goes back to Genesis. I have found that. 
to be true. The reason for Jesus Christ to come, Genesis. The reason why he had to be crucified, Genesis. And we go ahead and when we look, it says, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was void. And the Spirit moved upon the surface of the waters. He was preparing the world and the universe to receive the creative word of Jesus Christ, who in the next verse, verse 3, it says, And God said. Then we go to the first chapter of the book of John, and we find out that that was Jesus Christ. Because John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see how all three are working in Cornelius' life. And the Holy Spirit has now made the, the, the determination the time is right for him to hear the gospel message. His heart is in the right place. You realize he was out evangelizing to his friends and his neighbors? Pagan friends probably, neighbors? Because he was already held in respect by the Jews. And his family. He'd been talking to his family. So at that point in time, an angel appears to Cornelius while he's praying. The ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay? So it was um, shortly before evening prayer. And this angel came and just like every other angelic revelation that we see in Scripture, first, it's fear. Because an angel is a spectacular person to look at. I think once I had an angel in my life, but I can't verify or, or testify to that too much, but it was an interesting circumstance. Maybe, maybe one of these days we'll testify to that. But at this point in time, the angel comes down and tells Cornelius to send people to Joppa to find Simon, surnamed Peter. God's opening up a whole new world for the church. A whole new world for its outreach. So Cornelius does exactly that. It's interesting that he also sent one of his, his aides with him, with the men that he sent to Joppa. Now Cornelius was a company commander. If we want to talk in modern day language, a company commander. Small company by today's army standards, but still a company commander. And the band that they're talking about here, you could say was, was a regiment. Band to translate into that. So he was of the Roman regiment, and he was a centurion in charge of a com command that probably had the district of Caesarea as where he had been assigned. Now, the army back then, just like the army now, if you're on a career path, they want to get you to have certain tickets punched. 
you got to be in Vietnam. Wonderful place to go. Mosquitoes are a little bit big, but still. Then you've got other places to go. And it's called punching your ticket when you're in the military. The branch board is the one that's governing where you're going and when you're going. And I was scheduled to go. The reason I got off active duty was I was scheduled to go to Korea. And I called Branch and I asked him why. They said, well, you're on a fast track. And I said, yeah, I'm now on a, I, I, just, I just came back. It wasn't a year that I'd been back from Vietnam and they were sending me on another unaccompanied tour. So I left, went into the reserves, National Guard, and that's where I completed my career. But, side note. So these men go back and they're looking for Peter. Peter is not yet ready to receive these men coming because he is looking at the Jewish law. The reason why the Jews did not evangelize like God originally intended them to do was because their traditions had put several stumbling blocks in the way of doing it, and they would become ceremonially unclean if they sat down with Romans or other pagans, people of other religions. And a good Jew would not become ceremonially unclean. Peter is ahead of the apostles at this point in time. He's on a trip from Jerusalem to Joppa. So he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. So he is up on the roof at the sixth hour. That's noon. And he's praying. And he gets placed into a trance. And the last thing I think he was thinking about was a big napkin coming down from heaven with a whole bunch of food in it. But that's exactly what happened. This napkin came out of heaven and was coming down, and it was bound at the four corners, just like we do. You can go ahead and put things in, and then you take the, the blanket or the sheet up, and you take the four corners and you tie them up. Well, that's what was being presented to him. By the way, this is also the incident that we can thank God for for giving us bacon. He brought the napkin down, and it opened up. And he saw all kinds of animals. He saw clean and unclean. The kind that there was no problem eating, the kind that you couldn't touch. And a voice from heaven and I believe that was the Holy Spirit, said, take and eat, kill and eat. And Peter, being the good Jew that he is, was saying, no, Lord, I can't touch. You told me that stuff I couldn't touch. I'm not going to touch it. Nothing has crossed my lips that is unclean or forbidden in my entire life. So the napkin gets drawn back up to heaven one time. Then at that point in time, it comes back down again. It's opened up in front of him. Kill and eat. No, I can't do it. 
I told you that once. I can't do it. I won't do it. Napkin goes back up again. Finally, on the third time, the Holy Spirit finds the two-by-four that's the necessary breadth, length, and weight that he can get Simon Peter's attention. Because it comes down again, and it opens up, and Simon Peter's understanding is also opened up. The first line, or the, the, this, this place where it says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. If you don't talk to people because you're afraid of being ceremonially unclean, how can God's Word get out to the whole, the whole world as Jesus told them? Go and preach in all lands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You can't have that accomplished unless you're willing to go out and do what's necessary in order to get the job done. Peter now understood that. Especially when he gets to Cornelius' house. But the men who were sent from Cornelius arrive at the door. Peter greets them. He understands that he's going to be going on a trip. And in addition to everybody that came with Cornelius, he takes a couple of people with him from Joppa. When they leave out, and they don't hesitate. They just they rest from their trip. They get up the next day, and they're on the road. Peter sees the immediacy. He sees the importance. And as he's going, he's hearing how great Cornelius is. And he's hearing it from the centurion. He's hearing it from the men that Cornelius sent from his household. And the other men that are with Peter are also listening to what this man does. He says he loves God. And he's sacrificing monetarily like he does. He's willing to extend alms to the poor in addition to what he goes and pays to the synagogue. He's a man of good report. He treats the Jews with respect and dignity. So he's hearing this on his trip. And then they get to Cornelius' house. And he opens the door. And he's brought in. And he asks Peter, why did you send for me? And Cornelius tells him, I was praying. Four days ago I was praying at this selfsame hour. And I had someone come and visit me. And he told me to do exactly what you were sent for. 
You are here as a result of my asking for you to come here. My petitioning you to be here. And now we can see how God is working in their lives just like He worked in yours before you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Cornelius is ready. But Peter is telling Cornelius that, you know, I'm not supposed to, under Jewish custom and Jewish law, I'm not supposed to be here. But what do you need? Because I'm here. And he tells Cornelius what happened to him before his men got to the front door. Well, you had a vision. I had a vision. You told me yours. I'm going to tell you mine. And he tells him quite frankly, it's not lawful for me to be here. Because you're, you're, you're unclean. You're common. I'm not supposed to associate with you. You know, the thing that always amazed me was one of the great criticisms of Jesus was that he talked to, ate with, and went to feast, that type of thing, with sinners. How are you going to tell a sinner about Jesus Christ if you don't associate with him? That's what Peter recognized because of the vision that he was sent. There is nothing that God has created that is to be considered common. Especially when Jesus was told, or was, we're told that Jesus was sent to us to, save, to seek, seek and to save that which was lost. Well, seeking and saving does not only go with the Jewish people, it goes with the Gentiles as well. And you cannot have the whosoever will unless you also include the Gentiles in the package because otherwise you're not including the whosoever will. So at that point in time, Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation... He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In other words, he's telling Cornelius that he is doing what is acceptable to God. That's what God is looking for us to do. He's looking for us to humble ourselves. He's looking for us to start moving in the right direction. Not that we have already done that. But the Holy Spirit has been within us and has been molding us and driving us in a particular path necessary for us to get to the point when Christ asks the question, we can give the appropriate answer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in every nation, he that feareth him 
and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. The children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the, of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God, raised, excuse me, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach into the people and to testify that it is he which is ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the people's witness, all the prophets' witness, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the, on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You know, I've, I've, I spent a little time in the Pentecostal area of religion, and I'm bothered by one thing that they do, and I'm serious. I, as far as tongues go, I believe in tongues. But I believe there's a spiritual restriction on it, and that's left to the Holy Ghost because it says, as the Holy Spirit giveth utterance. Not as I want to give it. And what bothered me was they weren't in accordance with 1 Corinthians in the employment of tongues. Because they would have somebody get up and speak in tongues and that same person would interpret what they supposedly said. And that's not what Paul says. You've got to have a speaker and you have to have an interpreter. And if you don't have an interpreter, that person better not open their mouths. God wants to make sure that if we experience that, we'll have it. Well, and they've, they've gone ahead and said that that's the sign you have to have of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, the pastor that ordained me, he and I had a long talk about that subject. And I said, I believe in speaking in tongues, just like I told you. But I also believe it has to be as the Holy Spirit gives utterance. And I will never, in this church or any other church, start making sounds and so that you can say, oh, he's speaking in the Holy Ghost. He got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. No. The pastor said, I've spoken in tongues, but I'd much rather have what you have 
and be able to preach and teach like you preach and teach. He says, you got the Holy Ghost. you got the baptismal Holy Ghost. You have fire. You have intensity. So at this point in time, the, the point that I see now with respect to tongues is my perspective changed because of this, this study for this message today. It was necessary at a time in the church that people spoke in tongues. On Pentecost Sunday, that mighty rushing wind and the speaking in tongues that occurred at that point in time was a significant signal to the apostles that the, the prophecy of John the Baptist, there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, we saw that happen on Pentecost. But the other miracle of tongues that happened on Pentecost was when the apostles are going out and they're talking to the crowd, they're preaching messages to the crowd, Peter is. And they're saying, wait a minute now, what's happening here? The people. They said, I know he's a Galilean because of his dialect, because of his accent, because of his words. I'm a Mede. Another one, I'm a Persian. And we are hearing them in our own language. That was another miracle. That anybody at that assembly that wanted to hear the Word of God heard the Word of God in their own language. What they're seeing here was the same thing that happened in the upper room. That becomes a very important thing. In my travel to messages yet to come, that becomes very important. What it was establishing in Peter's experience and in his mind and in his heart was, wait a minute. They haven't had all of that religion that we've had. But the reaction to the message is the same reaction as to our message. In other words, the Holy Spirit has come on them with the same power, the same strength, the same intensity that He came on us in Jerusalem on Pentecost Sunday. Now, if they were not acceptable to God, if they were not righteous with God, if they were not ready to meet Jesus Christ on the path of sanctification, that would not have happened. So we now have Jews and Gentiles receiving the same Spirit-filled activity when they come to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It establishes in Peter's mind, he's not a stranger to me. He's not common to me. We're bound together. We're fitly framed together. We are the same in God's eyes. Because they would not have reacted this way, just like we did, had God not been in the mix.
To him they give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spoke, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Then answered Peter, verse 46, going into 47, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then prayed they him to tarry certain days. You know, the Bible lesson, the, the, the uh, Sunday school lesson this morning covered this same thing about being baptized in the Lord. And it talked about the Lord meaning Trinity. And if we go and we see what Jesus said, he said, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And that's the way we do it here. It's the way Jesus taught us. Well, Peter wasn't off the, the hook at this point in time. And I'm going to have you read chapter 11 to, to understand that. Because he had to justify himself. And the justification that he gave to the brethren and the apostles in Jerusalem was his vision and what had happened to Cornelius and his whole household. Not just Cornelius, but his whole household because of the way he lived his life and the way he treated people and the way he was willing to sacrifice alms, money for God's kingdom on this earth. But he had to give an account for why he did what he did. And once they understood that the Holy Spirit had the same reaction with Cornelius' whole household as they had on Pentecost Sunday, it was accepted. So as we see, the Holy Spirit has an integral part in our coming to the altar and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He is the one that prepares the soil. We're the seed throwers. He's prepared the soil. And all the soil that He has prepared is good soil. There should be no reason why the Word of God does not go in fruition except when you have the weeds of doubt and the weeds of refusing to accept the truth come in and spoil the garden. And then you have the tares that come in. The ones that want to give Christianity a try. Take it out for a trial run. Can't do that. That's a tear. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. 
You've got to show fruit. Without showing fruit, you're fruitless. And what does the parable of the tares tell us? That at the final harvest, the fruitless will be cast into hell, but the fruitful will be harvested. And their fruit has been 30, 60, 100 fold. So my encouragement to you today is don't reduce the amount that you pray to the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ or even God the Father about your lost loved ones. Your prayers are being heard. You used to be unhearable by God. But because you followed 2 Chronicles 7.14, if, if my people, you had elected become one of God's people, and I know I'm preaching this out of context, okay? But you humbled yourself, prayed, and sought God's face, and turned from your evil ways, God heard from heaven, forgave you your sin, and started you in a blessing that started in time, but ends in eternity, and we know eternity never ends. So continue to pray for your loved ones. Not only that, if there's anybody here today that has not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I implore you, I implore you today during the altar call that you do that. Patty? Now we're going to sing a hymn here for the altar call. It'll be page 165 in the hymnal. Kneel at the cross. <clears throat> 